Hi guys, you're listening to Irrepressible, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Ashley. I'm an entrepreneur, a content creator, and I have a background in styling where I've worked alongside some of the biggest names in Hollywood, like Ariana Grande and Melissa McCarthy. You're in the right place if you're looking for a realistic approach to life because we're about to have some eye-opening conversations on how to do so. So let's jump into today's conversation. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Irrepressible. I have a really fun and informative episode for you this week. I have Catherine Andrew on the podcast and Catherine is a functional and holistic registered dietitian and we have been working for about the past year getting this episode together for you guys and I'm really excited to finally be able to share it and I think now is actually the perfect time for this episode to come out. I think looking back over the course of the pandemic and everything with COVID, I think it's really put into perspective for many of us, our health. Um, I know that before the pandemic, I was constantly go, 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 and not always paying attention to, you know, what am I fueling my body with? Am I living and treating myself in the best way that I can so that I have energy to do the things I want to do and, you know, be healthy. And I think when the world kind of stopped for a minute, a lot of us were like, hmm, maybe I should look at this a little bit more. And so I think over the course of that journey, many of us are like, okay, I want to make some changes or I don't know how to make a change or how do I know what's actually working for me and what's not? There's so many diets out there and you hear, you know, go vegan, eat plant-based, go keto, do the whole 30. Like there's so many diets and ways that people preach are the way to eat and go about food and health. And I personally don't subscribe to that. I've been down that road where it's like you're constantly being fed the information of like, you better eat plant-based. You better eat plant-based. I did that. It did not work for me. I did not feel good. I did not have energy. And it took me a while to move past that and be like, okay, well, what is working for me? And over time, I feel like I've gotten a lot better at that. So in this episode, Catherine kind of touches on all of the different diets and, you know, some of them that are lifestyle traps and problems and She also talks about the foundations of health and nutrition and like what's really going to set you up for success, how you should be approaching nutrition because it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. What works for me is not going to be what works for you or the next person or the next. And that's great information to know because it kind of takes the pressure off of like, I'm not doing things right. The only right way is to do what's right for your body, not what's right for everybody else. And she also talks a lot in this episode about how to start listening to your body, which is something I have learned over time. And I think I've gotten really good at, but I know so many of us struggle with that and don't know how to tap into your body or listen to what it's really saying. You know, nobody ever taught me that. I, I got curious with myself and like, why am I not feeling good? And now I have a pretty good understanding of like, okay, I've reached my capacity with caffeine for a minute. If I have another sip of coffee, I am going to be over the edge, not just 
anxious, but also I don't feel good on the inside. And I know that's my body just saying like, Hey, like, let's just back off for a minute. Let's take a break, you know, drink some lemon water. Let's like flush out, you know, whatever's going on with the caffeine. And I do it for a week and then I go back and I'm totally fine. But that and things like that have taken me a while to learn. And, um, so I'm excited for you to hear this part with Catherine explaining more how you can tap into and listen more to what your body is teaching you. So before I give away the entire episode, let's get into it. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy it. This was a really fun episode to record and I just, I love this kind of stuff. I think it's so fascinating. So let's get into it. Here's Catherine. I would love for you to start with a little bit of your backstory and what made you get into the world of nutrition. Um, Awesome. So yeah, thank you for having me. This um, backstory is a fun one. So I I always, because it feels important to me, like to point out that I grew up in Florida and I grew up with a mom who loved to cook and she loved to cook from like variety of, you know, international cuisine. So she was always kind of dabbling with different things. Um, One of those moms, which I have become, who doesn't tend to follow a recipe, right, is always kind of making up new things and tweaking things, which doesn't always work out, admittedly. But we had, you know, a lime tree and a grapefruit tree and orange trees in our backyard. And there was just an abundance of fresh food around and where I lived. And I, I find that not to be the case where I am now. And I think that really shaped sort of my relationship with food and the way that I learned to be curious about food and to sort of love it and to love different parts of learning about sort of what eating was. I've also always loved sort of celebrations and all of the ways that we use food in our communities to to celebrate and to mourn and to connect with people. Um, So I would say that led me actually into a master's degree in public health. And along the way, I lived in several different countries and different places around the world and just continued to sort of absorb these stories and different cultural perspectives on food. And the public health um, master's with nutrition as well was really just my way of translating or combining my love for science with my love for food. And so it was me kind of digging into sort of what that looked like and helping people come together around a table, especially those people early in my career. I was working at a nonprofit where I was really helping people who didn't have access to good food, find that access and grow food and create communities where there was access to better foods. So I would say that's that's sort of part and snippets of my history. Um, the, the neuroscientist in me, which was my college degree, led me to kind of continue to pursue this idea of nutrition, especially through the lens of functional medicine. So where I've come to today is that I really help men and women feel their best, but oftentimes I'm focusing specifically on digestion and hormones because I find those things to be so integral to our health. And then food is such a part of those. So I love what I do. (laughs) I really can say like proudly and honestly that I absolutely love my job. Um, And I work with people now all over the country and, and really just love seeing the progress. I love seeing people like removing fear of foods and trying to find what it is that helps them feel their best and function at their optimal level. And then kind of relearn how to love food and not be afraid of it and not have this sort of diet culture lingering over all of us. Yeah. I think that's so interesting. And so it's so interesting because, well, here's a question for you. 
where do you think we get thrown off track and like this fear of food? Is it like when we're growing up? Is it media? Have you been able to pinpoint like this is what's wrong? This is why people are so... Um, I wish. No, I mean, I, I certainly think it probably is a combination, a culmination of all of those things, right? I think a lot of us grow up in homes where our parents, um, for better or for worse, kind of like focus on diets and and use food as a method to lose weight. And that's kind of its primary role in the household or that weight is the only description of health for a lot of families. And so then food becomes a tool for that. So I do think it comes from our families, especially for Mm -hmm. moms and daughters. Unfortunately, there's some pretty harsh patterns that have, you know, we've all probably experienced comments and and the ways that we were raised. Um, Thankfully, I feel like mothers now are learning, people now are learning really like a different approach to health and and hopefully changing that story. Uh, What's not changing now is that we continue to be bombarded with health information and lots of different opinions and it does, in my opinion, make people kind of like spin their wheels and oftentimes on things that I don't think even really matter in the end. So we tend to get, I see a lot of people get in the weeds with what exactly to eat or, or just sort of all these very minute questions as it, as it relates to food and nutrition and forget kind of some of the basics, the, the sort of like standard basics that can really help us thrive beyond those details. Yeah. I see that a lot too. I think a lot of this has to do with social media and the internet, but it's like specific diets are trendy. So it's like, maybe it's trendy to do paleo or be vegan or whole 30 or whatever. And then it's like, how do I know what's the right thing for me? Right. Well, and a lot of it is just, um, I hate to use the word lazy, but I do think a lot of us, we just want the quick fix, right? Like we, we have such an urgency society that we want to know kind of like, just tell me, we get people all the time where I will spend hours really talking with them about what health is. And then after all that time, they still come back to, yeah, but could you just tell me what to eat? Right. Mm-hmm. It's just, it oftentimes just comes back to like, I don't, I don't want to put in the work. And I don't, honestly, a lot of people, a lot of us don't have the time. To, I mean, we don't make the time to put in the work, right. Um, to really connect with our bodies. So yeah, I do agree with you that we, tend to, I mean, that goes way back though, right? Like from all of our childhood, we can imagine like whatever the current diet was at the time. And then it continues to evolve such that you and I, and most of us can come up with, you know, at least several foods that have, that have gone from bad to good to maybe to bad. Right. And kind of like been warped over the years in terms of how society views them. Yeah. It's so true. For anyone who doesn't know what functional medicine is, functional health. Can you do an uh, overview of that? Yeah. Um, There's a lot of different jargon and and lingo thrown out there, right? So when I think of functional nutrition, and um, I'm really thinking of a whole body approach, right? Mm. So what I do is, again, try to take people's focus off food as the only solution and really take a step back and look at a bigger picture of what health means for them. And that's really one of the first things I do for clients. I think this wasn't the question, but a lot of times we, we tend to measure health based on, you know, what we're told to measure, right? So uh, a lot, for a lot of us, that's weight and it's labs and, and it's really only the labs that whatever our doctor decides to pull are mm-hmm. whatever's kind of, you know, most common those days. Um, and then a lot of us, if we're really pushed, have a pretty good definition of health, especially now. I feel like we can start, if I really push someone to define what health means to them, we've done a good job of starting to kind of expand our view in terms of, okay, 
yeah, I, I do think mental health is part of health. And I think my sleep is part of health and whether or not I can fall asleep. And I think my, my digestion is part of health. And yet we don't tend to measure those things when we're thinking about Mm -hmm. moving towards health. So in functional medicine, I'm really trying to help people look at all the systems together. And I'm not a physician, I am not a doctor, so I can't necessarily treat all those things. And I work with a lot of physicians to do that, but I'm trying to help them at least view their diet and their lifestyle a little more holistically and not so um, individualized. That's a great explanation. So what do you think the foundations of health and nutrition are? Uh, foundations. Um, I guess I think there's a lot. Um, one of I one of the biggest things that I like to focus on around this topic is that we have created similar to what you and I are talking about. But for so many of us, I, and for most of us, right? I think when we think about nutrition, we almost always think about this game of minimalism, right? It becomes like, what do I need to remove, or what am I eating too much of, or what? should I not be eating? Right. And there's a lot of shoulds in Mm -hmm. the game as well. And there's a lot of guilt and shame. Um, so my mission in a lot of ways is to help flip that around and try to make it more a conversation of abundance and to sort of return the foundations of nutrition to maximizing your nutrients. Right. And like, how do I get the most out of my diet? How do I get the most out of my food? what, what helps me do that beyond diet, right? Sitting down and chewing my food, for example, makes a huge difference with digestion. So really trying to help people instead of viewing things through what they shouldn't be doing or what they shouldn't be eating and change that conversation and think instead, like, what, what could I add to this meal? Or what do I need to add to my week or to my day that would help me feel my best rather than always immediately going to what we need to take away? So I think that is like probably one of the foundations, if you will, that I think of nutrition more acutely, it would be, again, probably integrating all those different systems of my body and my health and my lifestyle and my mental health to really like maximize how I feel. So I guess just thinking about it beyond just food. Yeah. A question for you based off of like the removal of thing. I think a lot of people go get their labs done or food sensitivities and they're like, I can't eat gluten, dairy, eggs, this, 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 this. Um, And I'll use my dad as an example. He had done one of those tests and it came back like, you need to not eat gluten. And so he removed gluten from his diet and replaced everything with, it was like corn chips and corn meal and this and that. And then when he was retested, it was like the gluten was fine, but the corn, like you can't eat corn. Is there a, something to that of like, if you're just overloading your body with one specific food, it's going to come back as an overload and you should probably kind of just spread out what you're eating? Yes. So, so the short answer would be yes. Um, I would say if we're talking about food sensitivity testing, um, there's a lot of, I, I love the technology we have now, right? We'll mm-hmm. start with that. I think there's some amazing technology out there. And I do think for some people like, being able to test that is a really important, critical part of their story. What I would say is that there's several different types of testing. So many of the food tests, and I won't use names, but many of the tests that you get online for yourself are only evaluating one type of reaction. That's kind of the best way to think about it, one type of immune reaction. And there's Mm -hmm. a whole handful of different types of immune reactions that we can have to different foods. So in part, a lot of those only give us a little bit of the story. And and some of those... um, 
you know, IgG reactions, for example, can be heightened the more you eat a food. So yes, mm -hmm. certainly there are going to be sort of, especially if it's something I often tell clients, one way to think about it is that if you, if you eat a lot of that food, it might be your body's way of saying, Hey, I'm kind of tired of this food, right? It's, you've been eating a lot of it. Not so much that it's um, dangerous for me, but I need you to back off a little bit. But I would say the bigger, um, issue for me and, and sort of what I have started doing in practice is that I don't ever do a food sensitivity test or a food allergy test until I've done gut testing first. Because what I have learned over the years is that, especially for someone like your dad, if there was a lot of things that they're sensitive to, and most people do get back a huge list of things, if we can heal the gut and sort of improve the microbiome and balance things out, then all of a sudden you're not having a heightened immune reaction or you're having a, a better immune reaction one way or the other. Your body isn't sort of overreacting to certain foods and there's even bacteria that can make us more sensitive to certain foods. So I see dramatic differences in sort of capacity to, to tolerate and absorb nutrients from foods after gut testing and gut healing than I do before. So I think that's probably the bigger issue with um, food sensitivity testing is that a lot of people that do that haven't done the work first to really heal their gut and think of that as a way to heal their gut rather than a symptom. Mm -hmm. And is healing your gut something that you need the practitioner to help you with? Or is it like, oh, I have gut problems. I can go get a probiotic. Right. Um, for some people, maybe it is as simple as getting on a good probiotic. There's a lot of crappy um, probiotics out there. So unfortunately, that's not usually the best option. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wish it weren't so. I mean, I, I wish that we could do things more on our own without providers. But for most people, healing your gut, especially if you feel like you have a lot of food sensitivities, is something that you're going to want to work with a practitioner for, or at least do a program with um, that walks you through like what what your results are, exploring what's going on. There are some cases where it's you know where an elimination diet can be helpful, and certainly I don't dismiss that. But it's usually a bigger picture, and I find a lot of people again spin their wheels around yeah. certain foods when it might be that we need to actually treat bacteria that are overgrown in your gut before and no amount of food tweaking is going to make that go away. Right. Yeah. And so I personally did that, right. I spent years kind of wasting time tracking down lots of different foods and end up in a disordered mindset around those mm. rather than recognizing, I just needed to treat what was happening yeah. in my gut. And then I could really more accurately identify what the problems were. That makes sense. So off of that, nutrition isn't a one size fits all approach, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that's, that's the hardest part, right? Like we, that's, we all want these quick answers and we want to look at my neighbor and be like, well, but keto worked for him and she's doing intermittent fasting and, you know, and A, we don't even know how their sex drive is and if they're sleeping on these things, despite whether or not they're losing weight. But B, a lot of Either it is 100% an individualized concept, right? Just like we don't go to Google as our doctor, right? We don't go to yeah. Google labs and to evaluate our heart health. Um, we go to a doctor who can evaluate our personal health, right? And the same is true for nutrition in that it is 100% individualized from person to person. There's definitely themes, right? Like there, that, and that's what we can start to pull out is that there are sort of Yes, there's probably someone out there that functions like you and that could follow a similar program, but it doesn't narrow down to one or two options for most of us, which is what we tend to look for. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. 
So then what do you, when you're working with your clients, what are you encouraging them to focus on when it comes to their health? Yeah. Um, to start, I would say going back to that idea of getting lost in the weeds and, and sort of what are the basics, some of the basics that, you know, I, I call them elements of change. And if anyone has a better way to think of those, go for it. Cause I don't love that term, but, but really when I think about the foundations, right. Of health and I want to change, I want to change how I feel. What does that look like, Catherine? How do I work through that? Right. There's some basics that I always start with. One is curiosity, right? So approaching things from a mindset of curiosity, and that goes hand in hand with that concept of personalization, right? That because I recognize or, or believe that it's not going to be the same for me as it is for someone else exactly, I have to be willing to get curious with my body and to listen and to observe. Um, and that's the work that no one wants to do, right? That's the work that takes time and it takes patience, but that I see make strides of difference when people are willing to actually tune in to what's working for them. Similarly, I would say awareness, right? So giving yourself um, space to actually tune in to what's going on and noticing what your body is saying. I often like to think of symptoms as, as messengers, right? That it is our body's way of speaking to us. And maybe it's not your preferred communication form, right? Like I wish my body would maybe use a different format than headaches to get my attention. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times those are just your body's way of trying to tell you something is off. And so really, again, coming at it with curiosity and awareness to kind of tune in to like, what, what could my body be saying or what could be going on that's leading to this rather than just trying to fix things. Yeah. Um, another one is patience, right? So again, these all kind of go hand in hand. We being willing to kind of tweak things slowly rather than jumping ahead to one, you know, to a whole 30 and changing everything at once and then not really knowing what I can sustain and what I can't. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would say consistency. And by consistency, I don't mean eating the same things every day, but I do think, and and you and I have talked about this a little bit, but like Mm -hmm. we tend to have this mindset of cheat days, right? A lot of us talk about cheat days. A lot of us have sort of a, a strict plan, if you will, during the week. And then on the weekends, we sort of bust it out and anything goes or same goes for vacations and holidays. Rather than trying to make things look a little more similar from day to day, right? So in a back to that idea of abundance, sometimes what I'm working with people on is like adding in dessert or potato chips or whatever it might be in the middle of on a Tuesday, right? To see if that doesn't then help you not feel like you have to have this knee-jerk reaction and overdo it on the weekends to make up for lost time. So trying to figure out more of like, what is that sort of balance that I can sustain and be consistent with? And then the last one I would say is pursuit. And that goes back to this idea of abundance, but really what am I working towards? And this might be my favorite, but really trying to help people not just get frustrated with what's going on or what, what symptoms are bothering me, but what do I want to feel like and, and what, you know, what is kind of my vision for the behaviors and the, the way that I want to live that I'm moving towards rather than what am I running away from? And that, those are all just kind of mindset basics, but they can take a year. <laughs> they can take a long time or to really, and I think they will continue to evolve for a lot of us, but those are way more important to me than, than deciding whether someone should drink oat milk or not, for example. Because <laughs> um, I think if we start with those basics, then we can kind of figure out a lot without making it such a big deal. I love that you said all that. I think I have kind of unintentionally found that route over time, you know, like 
there was a time where I was like, oh, you have to count macros because that's what everybody's on doing on online. Or I tried Whole30. I was vegetarian. I was vegan. And like, or like you only eat dessert on the weekends. And now I feel like I'm at a pretty balanced place where I let myself eat what I want, but not in excess. And I find that I have much more energy because I let myself have a cookie at night instead of eating 20 of them on Saturday. Yeah. And it's really like when you remove that restriction mindset, all of a sudden you give yourself permission to have less, right? To, to like, because you know, you're going to get it again. If you feel like I'm never going to be able to eat this food again, or I'm only going to eat it on Saturdays. then when I eat it on Saturdays, you better believe I'm going all out. But if I can, if I can include more things throughout the week, um, then yeah, I think that's a really important thing to focus on. Yeah. And when it comes to that, I guess, I don't, is moderation maybe a word to describe that? What do you think is a balance of that? Meaning like one cookie a day or if after lunch and dinner, I want something. Those are things that are okay because you're, I don't know if I'm asking this well, because your mind isn't stressed about not getting it again. Yeah. Um, back, I mean, your first question was about moderation and but moderation. I'll get to the other one I, I love, but um I think it always, it scares a lot of us because we don't know what that means and what, but what is moderation and what, you know, and I, I actually really come to like it, like, and to kind of force people to think about it differently because what it means is that it's different for all of us, right? Like if, if we truly are tr- working towards moderation, then my moderation is going to look a little different than yours, right? Yeah. And based on what I need and what works for me. So yes, I do think I'm helping people think about that. And I also think rather than defining it, right? So your question about like, can I have a cookie with lunch and dinner? Is that, does that still count as moderation, right? Is a trap that we fall into rather than um, day by day, right? Rather than being like, you know what? I feel particularly like I want a lot of chocolate today. So I'm going to allow myself to have some with lunch and dinner and enjoy it and then see how that goes. And then tomorrow, if I find that I'm getting more and more, then maybe I back off a little bit, but kind of like, allowing it to ebb and flow rather than feeling like we have to create these rules for ourselves and follow the same rules every day. Mm-hmm. And that that's scary for a lot of people because people, again, want structure, they want rules and no question there is, I think there is value in structure for sure. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not saying just go into your weeks with no plan, but within that plan, having some flexibility for, you know, your satisfaction. I think part of it in my opinion, at least, is that so many foods have been labeled good or bad. Right. One of the activities that I have clients do early on is, is even keep track of those things. Like what are, what are the foods that you would put on a good list and a bad list? And it's amazing. It's completely different from person to person. Like what you would label as bad. There's some similarities, right? But a lot of times it looks very different based on when we were raised, what part of the country we were raised in. Right. And so, and then when we push back on on why, why did I even label that food bad in the first place? A lot of times it's based on false information or inaccuracies in research, things that we've kind of uncovered now. And then the biggest issue, like you're saying, is that it does, you know, all of us can relate. As soon as you eat something that you think is bad, quote unquote, sorry, I'm holding up quotes and no one can see me, but (laughs) as soon as you eat something that you think is bad, you now feel ashamed, right? And usually our knee-jerk reaction is to either then just screw it, eat more, right? I might as well just keep going or now I need to restrict even harder, right? And in that all rooted in this concept that I've labeled a food as good or bad, right? And so really trying to strip down 
the good and bad labels, I also really encourage people to think about the should and the need tos, right? That way I, I should be, right? And based on what? Is that based on what you've noticed and how you feel when you eat those things? Or is that based on what you've read, you know, online somewhere? Mm-hmm. In similarity to this, um, I notice within myself, some days I'm really hungry and some days I'm really not. Is that, and I think some people would think, well, you're not eating enough today. Like you didn't eat enough, but maybe my hunger is just lower. Is that something that's also like good or bad and it's not necessarily good or bad? You're female. And for females, like we have dramatically different calorie needs at different points in our cycle. Mm say dramatic, but there, I mean, it's pretty big, right. For some people. So there are some big swings from the first part of your cycle, your, your, um, follicular phase until your luteal phase. And even ovulation for some people can trigger some differences. So I do think that's something that we are not very in tune with, right. Our our infradian rhythm, and we don't have time for that today, but where you are in your cycle can 100%, um, impact your appetite. And I like to teach people that so that when I am hungrier and I'm two days away from my period, then instead of fighting that, I kind of embrace it. And I have more real whole food at breakfast. And all of a sudden I don't want more popcorn later at night. Right. And so knowing where you are in your cycle will be one. The other is exercise. Right. So I think most of us don't do the same exercise every day. We move different amounts. We walk throughout the day, different amounts. Um, And so, and we move in different ways and that's going to change what your body needs. And so I do think also kind of being mindful of, um, I'm more hungry today. Maybe it's because I, I like pushed it hard in my workout this morning or the flip side, I didn't work out and I'm not as hungry and that's delightful. Right. So I think those are some things I would have people or you be aware of as it relates to that hunger. Yeah. That makes so much sense, but I just, nobody talks about it. Like I didn't learn that in school or... (laughs) I didn't either. (laughs) (laughs) With that, what are some of the most, I don't want to say most common, but maybe commonalities that you see between clients of a lifestyle trap or things like stress, dieting? Yeah. Um, I guess one, so just one that immediately comes to mind is under eating, right? Is, and that goes back to that weekend versus weekday. I think a lot of people under eat during the week and just are dragging through the week. And we burn a lot of calories thinking and moving and doing our jobs, even if we aren't necessarily sitting or standing sometimes. So I would say under eating both kind of weekday versus weekend, but also especially morning versus night. Mm-hmm. So, it's, you know, with the interest in fasting, which again, we won't cover too much today, but there are some benefits too. But what that has pushed people to do is really backload their day in a lot yeah. of cases. Um, and I, I mean, I'm a mom of three, but so my day starts early. I'm, I'm usually moving early and then I'm with my kids and I'm working right by the end of the day. I'm not spending a lot of expending a lot of energy, right? I'm, I'm usually kind of winding down and pretty cashed. And yet that tends to be when a lot of people get the bulk of their calories between like afternoon snack and dinner and late night snack because they haven't eaten enough. So I think that's one of the things that is a trap or sort of a challenge that I see a lot of people fall into is not, not getting enough earlier in the day mm-hmm. uh, to kind of fuel their, their day and their movement. Um, I'm blanking on others, but I would say stress is probably the other one and just underestimating the value of things like, you know, margins. I, you know, a lot of us have heard about margins and the value of like, 
having some downtime in your day and not necessarily going from one thing to the next. I see a mm -hmm. lot of people that mindlessly nibble, especially in the afternoons. And it's because we don't ever like allow ourselves, not always, but sometimes to like stop and check in and breathe. We don't breathe much throughout the day. Yeah. So I do think that stress, um, not necessarily, I, I don't think a lot of us can necessarily remove stress from our lives. And I think that's when we hear stress, we often get overwhelmed, like, well, I can't quit my job, right? That's not going away. But it's more about like, how can you build in moments throughout the day? And how can you kind of find a different pace or a different rhythm within sort of your stress levels as they are? And likewise, really focusing on things like sleep and meditation or prayer, I think are incredibly valuable for health. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned a few minutes ago, listening to your body and the cues that it's giving you. Yeah. Can you uh, touch on a little bit of how somebody can get in tune with their body if they've never done that before? Yeah, that's a good one. I would say first ditch your watch, right? So I think actually a lot of our health tools are awesome, but they tend to do the opposite of what we think they're doing, right? Yeah. We think I'm wearing a watch and it's telling me all about my sleep and all these other things. And yet I've because of that, become a little lazy and actually checking in with my own symptoms and my own signs. Um, so I would say try to get rid of any external device that, that you know, might be replacing your capacity to check in with yourself. Um, and then, you know, I, I go through a variety of different symptoms or areas with clients, but some things that I would have people focus on are digestion? Are you having a daily bowel movement? Are you void of bloating and gas? You should not feel like you are bloated at the end of every day or that your pants are so distended you can't button them, although most of us don't wear pants <laughs> that we button anymore. <laughs> but um, really like looking at digestion, looking at moods and mental health. How does my, does my mood change super fast? Like, can I not necessarily see that transition between my moods? Do I mm -hmm. feel like I'm always irritable or cranky or, you know, maybe am I always kind of sad and down? So thinking about those types of things, um, certainly like skin health is a big one for a lot of people, just not just acne, but also rashes and eczema. And, you know, a lot of people meet with them several times and, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I just for, forgot to mention to you that I, you know, I have these patches all over my body or something, right? So thing, kind of what is going on with your skin and then hormones, right? Obviously big one. I want for most women to have a monthly period, um, to notice a change in cervical mucus, to have, you know, sort of be surprised, not necessarily with when it's coming, but not to have any symptoms leading up to your period. And I think a lot of women just assume PMS is part of life and that that's something they, they should have to deal with. And I, I believe otherwise. So really starting to pay attention to that. So a lot of it goes back to like, again, that question of what is health and defining all those different systems that you think are valuable or that go into health in your opinion and paying attention to those instead of just how many steps I get in a day and whether I eat vegetables. Um, and there are, there are tools. And again, I don't want to say like all tools are bad, mm. but my favorite is just pen and paper and having people just kind of keep a journal or keep notes. I use a certain format with clients, but any way to just kind of get, check in with yourself throughout the day. And I do think a lot of times people start to notice things that they kind of knew or maybe suspected, but didn't ever like put words to until mm -hmm. they start paying more attention. You also mentioned uh, having consistency mm -hmm. throughout the week with your diet. Um, if somebody's struggling either with consistency or they don't like cooking or it's just, it's a struggle for them, what would you suggest? 
That's a hard one. I, especially cause I love to cook. So it's yeah. hard to resonate for me, but I get it. It's all around me. I see a lot of people that don't love to cook. Partly I would say to just, I mean, I think sometimes this might not be the right way to say it, but fake it until you make it is not a terrible thing to think with certain parts of our lives, right? And so I do find that people, once they start cooking more, they become more comfortable in the kitchen, starting with something as simple as like, can you scramble eggs in the morning, right? And can you get really good at that and make that sort of a challenge for yourself to be like a connoisseur at scrambling eggs? And then we move on to something else. Um, And so really like, teaching them that practice will help them feel more confident like anything in life and therefore probably enjoy it more and not resent it as much. Uh, The other thing I would say is that I find that we make recipes far too complicated and we make cooking far too overwhelming. And so I use more of what I call template cooking with a lot of my clients where I'm encouraging them to think about the parts of the meal and just sort of plugging in. And even this idea of like assembling a meal, it can sometimes be way more approachable for someone than cooking a meal. Yeah. I can put together a bowl or a salad with a lot of store-bought things. And maybe I make one or two parts of that, but it doesn't have to be a complicated drawn out recipe. So what I see a lot of, and I'm sure most people can resonate is like hours on Pinterest, you know, like really like finding all these great recipes, which then if it doesn't work out perfectly, we feel like we've just wasted hours, both cooking and looking for that right recipe. So really trying to simplify what you're eating, things like rotisserie chicken and roasted veggies or you know, chicken sausage and roasted veggies. Or we had for dinner last night, smoked salmon and goat cheese and roasted Brussels sprouts, right? And it was so easy. And half of it was store-bought, right? That I didn't do anything <laughs> with the smoked salmon other than add some seasoning. So I think really trying to to move away from complicated recipes and save those for the times if you do love to cook, right? For the weekends or for when you're really bored with what you're doing and you want to mix it up, but trying to go back to much more simple way of cooking and not so complicated. That's actually my approach to cooking because I like the tediousness of following a recipe to me makes me want to pull my hair out, but like I can cook rice and throw some veggies in the oven and make chicken. Right. And no like, problem. That hard. And you can probably eat that again twice in the week if you do that. Right. It does. I don't know. I, you know, I just say outsource the complicated stuff. If you're a sauce yeah. person, find a sauce you love and use that. Don't try to make it all and try not to do like all the casseroles. Anyway, there's <laughs> different preferences, but, but I do think it can be a lot simpler than we make it. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, okay. I have one more question for you. And I feel like this is one that hits not everyone, but I feel like it hits a lot of people, that afternoon slump, the like 2.30, why am I suddenly exhausted? Why are people feeling this? Yeah. Um, One thing I would start with is that there's a natural decline in energy in the afternoon. So I'm sure most of your viewer listeners are familiar with cortisol, right? And cortisol is an adrenal hormone that helps both in acute situations, right? In terms of, you know, there's a car coming at me, I need to jump out of the way, but it also helps in sort of like throughout the day energy, right? And we can think of it similar to adrenaline in some ways, but cortisol has a natural rhythm and it it is one of the things that helps wake us up and get us up in the morning and out of bed. It's called your cortisol awakening response. And then cortisol naturally starts to fall after about 10 or 11 a.m. for many of us. So it has this sort of slow decline throughout the day. And so there is sort of a a natural decline in energy. Like, and I think similar to how people want to feel bloated 
never want to feel bloated, right? I don't ever want to feel bloated. And there's a, it's, it's normal to feel bloated after you <laughs> Brussels sprouts, right? That is not a problem. That is part of the fiber and, and how your body breaks it down. But I would say similarly, like afternoon, you know, slowness is not a problem, but I would distinguish that from fatigue. Like you just mm-hmm. used the word. Um, so if someone was really complaining of afternoon fatigue and we felt like that was more than just, I would like, you know, I would like to sit down and <laughs> do something easy right now. I would really be looking at food and what they're eating the first half of the day. So it goes back to that same I think a lot of people are either skipping breakfast or having really nothing nutritional in the morning. And then their first meal is at lunch. And even that sometimes is pretty um, deficient or weak, if you will, in terms of what they're eating and they're expecting their body to have done a workout and now six hours of work without much fuel um, on board to really function. And so I think really having people try, right? Again, I never assume something's going to work, but that goes back to that personalization and awareness of like, just try, try eating breakfast and lunch, try having a bigger lunch, try having more protein or try having more fat at lunch or try having carbs if you're not having them, right? What, what are you not doing essentially back to that abundance mindset that you could add in and see if it doesn't mm-hmm. change your afternoon fatigue. And sometimes it takes tweaking, right? Sometimes, you know, like I just gave all three macronutrients, right? And so it is, you know, I come, I get, different answers from different people that of really what makes a difference in their afternoon fatigue. Yeah. Quick question on that. Ideally with a meal, do you want to have all of the macronutrients in it? Yeah, no. Yes. Most of the time. Um, you know, I never like to say always, but, uh, I use an acronym with clients called fat FFP. So standing for fat, fiber, and protein. And so, that usually encompasses fat, carbs, and protein, basically. Um, I do like for people to think of more like the ratios expanding and shrinking throughout the day and not Mm. so that we're always getting some mix of those um, three macronutrients and not trying not to have a meal that's single macronutrient-based. In particular, you know, I think we're all afraid of carbs, and I don't think carbs are that bad for us, but I do encourage people to try to always pair a carb with fat and protein for blood sugar purposes so that you're never having a naked carb as I like to call it. But otherwise, yes, I'm usually encouraging people to think about, um, many meals, right. Tends to help our minds better than Mm -hmm. individual foods. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Can you let everybody know where they can find you, where they can follow along all the things? Yeah. So again, I'm Catherine Andrew and my website is catherineandrew.com. So you can find me there. I have a contact page. If you want to reach out for any reason, I'm on there. And then Instagram, um, I'm a mix of active and inactive because I try to respect boundaries with life and work and I'm figuring it out just like the rest of you guys. Um, but my handle on Instagram is Catherine Andrew nutrition, all one word. So you can also find me there. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thanks for having me. This is fun. If you loved this episode, please let me know. Subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, share it on your Instagram stories and with your friends. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Erica Ashley and at Irrepressible the Podcast. Thank you so much for being here and I will see you next week.